Well, it's good to see you all here tonight. I'll get uh, arranged here. I have to apologize ahead of time for the red glasses. I bought, brought the wrong container. And uh, sorry. I'll be able to see. This morning in uh, Brother Drew's message, message about uh, being a disciple and following the Lord, he mentioned that um, he said something along the lines of you don't wait until you're ready and you're right and you're good and you're righteous and you're, you know, your tie is all the way, is my tie all the way up? Your tie is all the way up. You don't wait for all that. When you, you follow him now. You follow the Lord now. And um, I, I found this thing um, not too long ago that I thought it's a little cute, but I thought I would read it because, because it seemed to go along with what he was saying and sort of go along with what I was going to say tonight, at night, almost like a bridge. And uh, um, it was uh, uh, the idea that you can, you can say that to people, but I think sometimes some folks still think that they can't serve the Lord like he wants them to. They're incapable. They don't measure up. They still feel inferior in some way. And, and I just found this and I thought I would read it. it. And it just says this, do you seriously think God can't use you? That's the question. <clears throat> and then it just says this, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly, whatever that means. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a long-haired womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. David was a murderous adulterer. Wow. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep when they should have been praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced, and I would add several times. Zacchaeus was too small. Saul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And just in case somebody in the room didn't fit into one of those, it said Lazarus was dead. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought that uh, if you think that you can't be used of God, uh, I, I think you're mistaken. All he wants is you to submit to him. There was a passage of scripture I was going to read by that, but that's not exactly going the right way. I, I appreciate that. Um, and, and basically, that if I have a title for my message, I just said, just do your job. And by, by you, I mean all of us. Just do your job. Um, there are no excuses for what Jesus is about to command us to do in his scriptures. And I say that starting with me. If you would turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Thank you. 
and let's open in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight to hear something from your word that's going to help us to believe in you more, trust in you more, uh, obey you more, serve you more, uh, glorify you more, and, um, and follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take heed causing offenses. Take heed causing offenses. Let's look at verse 1. Luke 17 verse 1 said, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. He said, Take heed in causing offenses. And I was kind of struck by the word impossible. It's impo- Jesus said something was impossible. It was impossible that offenses would not come. It's impossible. Offenses are going to come. Offenses are going to happen. And at this point, I would just like to say that when we think of, when, when the New Testament's talking about offenses, and you may very well know this, it's not talking about, well, that offends me. That hurts my feelings. That insults me. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about causing to stumble. It's just about literally <laughs> translated to put a stone in the way, to cause someone to stumble. But what it's talking about is causing someone to stumble in their faith. We might say to quit on God. And Jesus said it's impossible that offenses won't come. That's my way of putting it. But he says in verse, two, he says uh, at the end of verse one rather, he said, "But woe unto him through whom they come." He says, "Watch out." And so I would just say, since I'm talking to you, watch out. If it's you, watch out that offenses don't come from you and me. That our behavior, that our words that our conduct wouldn't cause someone to stumble in their walk with the Lord. Because just in case you don't, it can. Our behavior as Bible believers in churches with suits and ties on, we can offend people and cause them to quit on God. Now, they've got to answer to God for their behavior, but so do we. And that's a, this is a warning coming, and I'll say this a couple of times. We're listening to the words of the creator of all we see and know. That's who's talking, the creator of all we see and know. And he says, whoa. I don't know if you remember this sort of thing, and, and this, is, this is not an endorsement, by the way, when I say what I'm about to say. <laughs> but uh, I recall, I guess I'm, I'm old enough to remember that it was a thing to when someone had a litter of puppies or kittens or something that they didn't want, that some people would think, we'll put them in a sack, put rocks in it, sew it up tight, and throw it in the water and drown them. Ever heard of that before? I mean, I've, I mean, I just remember hearing that that was a thing, and that was a thing that was frowned on, and some people would do that sort of thing. And I, I mean, again, I'm not endorsing that. <laughs> I'm just saying that was something that happened. And the Lord makes this statement in verse 2, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. The Lord is basically saying, if I'm going to offend somebody, 
I'm going to wish someday that someone would have tied a rope around my neck. This is what he's saying. And tie a big rock around the other, with, with the other end of the rope and throw me in deep water. Now, that sounds like the kind of thing that believers who were persecuted for their faith went through. And Jesus is saying, you're going to wish that had happened to you if you're someone that causes offense. And so, he, and so I mean, he doesn't say take heed in this passage, in this, these two verses, but I'm just saying, because it says here, take heed. Take heed causing offenses. But then it's another strange thing I think he says in the next verse. And I call it this way, take heed conf confronting trespasses. Take heed confronting trespasses. In verse 3 it says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And I thought that was interesting that he says, take heed to yourselves to people who were sinned against. He doesn't say take heed to you who were sinning against someone. He says take heed to yourself if your brother sins against you. I just find that very interesting that someone wrongs me and Jesus is telling me, watch out. And what does he say watch out about? He says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, we would say he sins against thee, sins against you or me, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And that word rebuke means to confront. And like not in, not, and not in an ugly way. You don't have to be ugly to be confrontational. You know, it just simply means to confront. And I'm reminded of a time when I was at State University. And um, I, was, I was at uh, State University. And my job, I worked at a secular job. And, and then I had my church I went to. And I had my friends at church. That's basically who my friends were. Most of my friends were people from church. And um, I never really noticed that uh, that my friends weren't inviting me to things, and and you know I just uh, I just you know you're busy you don't things don't always register to you right away, and one day my good buddy Jeff Douglas came to me and said, "Can I talk to you for a minute?" I'm like, "Sure." <clears throat> yeah, what's what, what's up? And he said, "Well, I don't know how else to say it, but I'm just going to tell you that." Um, he said, "We just don't want to be around you anymore." Can you imagine somebody saying that to me? <laughs> somebody said that to me. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, your, your language, you've gotten so coarse and harsh and, and, you know, borderline cruel in the way you talk. I didn't have any idea. I never knew. It never occurred to me. I never noticed it, which I guess when you're, when you're not walking with the Lord while you should, why would you notice? And so my friend, and that's what he was, my friend came to, the and told, came to me and told me that, and all I could do was apologize. All I could do was start paying attention. All I could do was start making it right. And that's what the Lord's saying here. He said, take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And it says, and if he repent, forgive him. And I would throw this out. I asked this to the Sunday school class a couple weeks ago. Well, what if he doesn't repent? What do you do? Don't answer that so fast. Not so fast, my friend. What if he doesn't repent? What do you do? We're not talking about that tonight. Yeah, yeah we spent two weeks on that with the class. Just about. If he repent, forgive him. That's what God wants. But part of my struggle with the lesson tonight was there was a, some passages in, in, uh, in, in Ezekiel of all places 
that sort of messed with this, and I'm struggling to stay out of Ezekiel. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, this, this idea of God wanting people right with him and God wanting people right with one another. And he says here, if thy brother sin against you, rebuke him. We don't just say, oh, I forgive him. That needs to be our attitude. Our attitude should be we stand ready to forgive. But God wants us to confront wrongdoing. He wants us to confront, confront sin. He wants us to confront people that are in the wrong, not, not so we have some feeling of superiority and spiritualness, but that he wants us right with one another so Satan won't have a foothold because Satan will have a foothold if we don't make sin right with one another. He just will, and he'll take a church like ours and he'll just blow it up if we don't make things right with one another. That's, that's how Satan operates. And that's why Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. And I wrote a little note here that says, the disciples are with him to this point. He's talking about offenses and they're with him. And he's talking about forgiving your brother when he sins against you and they're with him. But then he says, verse four, and if he trespassed against thee, Seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, the thought that I have as a human person is, wait a minute. I mean, if he's sinning against me seven times in a day, he's not repenting. That's not real repentance. That's not, no. I mean, come on. But then as a believer, that has a, I'm trying to think of, what's that word? Magisterial view of scripture. In other words, scripture's above me and it's teaching me and it, and it teaches me and I obey. As, then I say, well, Jesus said that he repented. Jesus just said he repented. I don't understand it, but Jesus just said, this guy repented seven times. And what am I supposed to do? He said, and say, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Anybody can see that this is asking a lot. Don't you think? I don't know if there's anybody in the room that can immediately grab an example of someone who sinned against them, trespassed against them seven times in a day and seven times in a day came back. I mean, it's like so mind-boggling to me in my interactions with people. You know, I, I, I go an entire day or two before someone sins against me in some way, I'm sure. Um, but here's where the disciples, when he said this, here's where the disciples cried out. And here's where I cry out. Verse five says, and the, and the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. How, how, I don't understand. I don't understand how that's repentance. I don't understand how he can get away with it. I don't understand why I should condone or I should allow or I should forgive. I don't understand. Increase our faith. And for Roman numeral three, I have take heart concerning faith. Jesus gives some good news concerning understanding the things that he's commanded us to do and the ability, the ability to do it. He says in, in verse in verse 6, and the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, 
and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. Mustard seed. And that's like, can you see that? <laughs> You've heard that before. Can you see that? You can't see it. And we've heard this because the point is not how much faith we have. The point is the object of our faith. It's the one in whom we put our faith in. And that's the Lord God. We understand that. That's encouraging to me. Lord, increase my faith. You got plenty of faith. You got a speck, you've got plenty of faith. There were some people that didn't have any faith. There were some people that didn't even have a speck. But as believers in Christ, we've at least got a speck. And Jesus encourages me in this, in that when someone wrongs me in that way, I can obey him in forgiving them. You ever dug up a tree stump? Mrs. Max, have you ever dug up, dug up a tree stump? You ever done that? Nobody? I've dug up a few tree stumps in my life. You know, like with a shovel and an axe and a mattock. And a, yeah, yeah. And I'm telling you, I, I can't think of too many, too many things that are harder <laughs> than digging up a tree stump. Let alone going up to a tree and grabbing a hold of it and just ripping it out of the ground and tossing it. Let alone doing what Jesus said here. Um, and I'm just making this point for a reason. He said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root. You don't have to pluck it up. You just say, be thou plucked up. And be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. That, that, that's encouraging to me, because Jesus means exactly what he says. When, it, when I think about me, and I think about someone constantly sinning against me, I'd rather dig up a tree stump than forgive that guy, than to be around him. I'd rather jerk a tree up out of the ground and toss it into the sea. That's how I feel about it. And God says, take heart. I've given you a commandment. You just obey me. You've got the faith because you're trusting in me. And I've given you my word. Take heart concerning faith. But then he says this. I, yeah, I was reading some commentaries. And um, I have to admit, in this particular case, I don't agree with a couple of them that I read. Because they, the, these authors seem to suggest that Jesus is changing the subject and talking about something else, and I don't think that he is. I think he's talking about the same thing. He says in verse, in verse 7, and I call this, take seriously the commands of God. He says in verse 7, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. And the way verse 8 starts indicates that that's not what you're going to say in verse 7. He said, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. That means I don't think so. In other words, you've, you've, hired, you've hired someone to do a job and you're going out and you're plowing the corn or whatever you do on farms. You know, you're plowing corn and you're milking cows and you're bringing and you're closing the barn doors and you're locking up and, and, then he's, and then you don't come in and the boss says, okay, here, sit down and have something to eat. No, you're my servant. You serve me. You make my food and you feed me and then you do the dishes and then when you're done, then you eat. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Now, when you hire someone to do just that and they do it, are you all thankful and appreciative and, wow, what a great guy? I mean, we might be thankful, but, but that's what we hired him to do. That was their job. That's what they were supposed to do. And I think that's the point Jesus is making. You belong to me. I'm the boss. And I'm telling you, if your brother comes and sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day comes to you and says, I repent, he says, back up here, he said, let me find it, thou shalt forgive him. Thou shalt. That's kind of like, thou shalt not. You know what I mean? Like a commandment. Like the Lord just gave us a command there. He's given us a job to do. So many times when I do what I'm supposed to do, I kind of have the thought that what a good Christian I am. What a good job I did. I'm pretty good. Praise the Lord. I'm such a good Christian. And Jesus is saying, down in verse 10, so likewise ye, I don't want to, well, I'm getting ahead. Hold on, I want to make a point here. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, I forgot. Matthew chapter five. Turn to Matthew chapter five real quick. I want to read something. Because this is a command, this idea of forgiveness. We're going to bring this to a point in just a minute. I was telling the truth when I told somebody a while ago it wasn't a long message. He didn't believe me. I don't know why that was, but. Uh, oh, that's a wrong, okay, that's a wrong verse. Let me do my again. Matthew chapter five. Verse 21 says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That judgment is referring to like a council, kind of like being called in front of the church. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka. And that's kind of like saying, You, you dirty you just like an emotional, like you, you rat, you know, you, you, you shall be in danger of the council. That's referring to the Sanhedrin. Wow, that's getting bigger. But whosoever shall say thou fool, and this fool has to do with a word that doesn't mean, well, you're just a stupid person or you're silly or something. It's the word that means you are an empty, worthless Human being, you have no value. I believe Jesus would beg to differ with that. That he wouldn't want us calling people worthless who he gave his life to pay for their sins. He says, Whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. He said, Why are you reading this? Well, look at the next verse. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest, that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. God wants us to be reconciled with one another. He wants us forgiving one another. And, and that's why in verse 10, he says, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all of these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And I kind of describe this this way because that sounds kind of ugly. And Jesus is not being ugly. I'm going to do a job for you. I'm going to work on your house. And it's going to cost you $15,000. And uh, 
And I do the job. And when I get done, it cost me $14,000 to do the job. So what just happened there? I just made $1,000. Was that profitable or unprofitable? That was profitable. Okay, I made $1,000. Now, I'm going to do a job for you, and I'm going to charge you $15,000. And when I do the job, it cost me $16,000 to do the job. Now, what just happened there? I lost $1,000. Was that profitable or unprofitable? Unprofitable. We don't like those. Okay. So I'm going to do a job for you, and I'm going to charge you $15,000 to do this job. And when I'm done with this job, it cost me $15,000 to do this job. What just happened there? I didn't make anything. Was that profitable or unprofitable? Unprofitable. Right. I didn't make a profit. And the point is, is that when we think about unprofitable, there's really two ways of viewing it. We can view it like, oh, I lost money. I lost out. I lost ground. I was unprofitable in that respect. Or it could just simply mean I didn't make any extra. I didn't do anything extra. I didn't go above and beyond. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, so likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. In other words, Jesus is saying in this matter of forgiveness, just do your job. It should be normal for us to just do our job. And in this passage of scripture, he says, take heed causing offenses. And, and, and this is me talking. I think that it, be, it could be considered offensive causing someone to stumble by not forgiving them. I think that can cause someone to quit on God. I think that can cause someone to leave and go somewhere else and maybe go to another church, maybe go to a church that doesn't preach the Bible, but they love them. Yeah. Take heed causing offenses. Take heed confronting trespasses. It's important not to be ruling and bossing and making people feel, feel bad about mistreating me in some way, but making reconciliation, making things right between us so we can keep being concerned with the furtherance of the gospel, with the gospel making headway, not just floating out on the sea, but actually heading toward a destination, the furtherance of the gospel. Take heed confronting trespasses. Take heart concerning faith. It doesn't take much faith. It's who you're trusting in. You keep trusting in your Lord. Keep trusting in your Lord. Keep reading his word. Keep believing it. Keep going to it. Keep crying out to him, Lord, increase my faith. And he will. And then I would like to say, take seriously the commands of God. Because in this matter of forgiveness, it's a command of God. All right, here's my story. 1918, the Boston Red Sox, Marco, is that your second favorite team? The Boston Red Sox won the World Series. In 1919, the Boston Red Sox did something seemingly inexplicable to the baseball world at the time. Does anybody know what they did? What did they do, Marco? Huh? No. Okay, I'll just quit asking you questions. I'll just tell you. Um, they sold the rights to Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. Do you know that Babe Ruth played for the Red Sox? They won the World Series with the Red Sox. And then Boston sold him 
to the Yankees. And then Boston went decades, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years not winning a World Series. So long of a time of a World Series drought that people referred to Boston not winning the World Series as the curse of the Bambino because that's what Babe Ruth was called, the big Bambino, right? The big baby. They called it the curse of the Bambino. They haven't won a World Series because they sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. And people believed that. But in 1986, in 1986, the uh, Boston Red Sox were in the World Series with the New York Mets. And in the World Series in 1986, the New York Mets were losing to the Red Sox three games to two. Boston was up three games to two. And they were playing the Mets game six in Shea Stadium in New York. And at the, at the, after the ninth inning, it was tied three to three going into extra innings. In the 10th inning, Boston scored two runs. In the middle of the 10th inning, Boston was leading five to three. Now, what happens when they get three outs? What happens? The game's over. They win the World Series, four to two. Bottom of the 10th, the Mets had two outs and nobody on base. Boston needs one out. They're one out away from breaking the curse of the Bambino. That's how they looked at it. If you were to watch old footage, you would see, literally see Boston players in the dugout. They're just all just giddy and giggling and bouncing around. And you see the Mets players in the dugout. They're just slumped over. It's over. It's bottom of the 10th. We're down by two. And there's two outs and no runners on. It's over. And the Mets get a base hit. And then they get another hit, and I think another hit, drive a run in. Oh, it's five to four. And then they get a couple, this is with two outs. They get a couple more people on. And then a uh, batter comes up. I think it was Mookie Wilson. Mookie Wilson comes up, and, uh, and he's batting. And that pitcher pitched like 10 or 12. Pit, if, if you're a sports fan, you're following me here. If you're not, just kind of humor me, and I'm almost done. But uh, Mookie Wilson keeps fouling off the pitches. He fouled like six or seven pitches. It was a full count with two outs in the bottom of the 10th. One of the pitches went past the catcher and a run scored. The game's tied. We just need an out. And, uh, um, and uh, uh, Mookie Wilson hits the ball up the first baseline. You guys remember this? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. He hits the ball up the first baseline, and what was Boston's first baseman's name? It was Bill Buker or Beckers, or what was his name? I forget his name right now. You got, who, anybody know? Got to be a fan here to admit that you know. Nobody? Anyhow, Boston's first baseman, what has he got to do? He's just got to scoop this slow-moving ground ball up and step on the bag, and it's the end of the inning. And he bends down and lines up. He comes over and lines up to it, and it goes right past his glove. And people are going berserk. And the guy comes in and scores, and the Mets win game six. It's three to three. They go on to win game seven and win the World Series. 68 years since they had been in the World Series. I think it was since they've been in the World Series, or at least since they won one. And they were one out of what? 
they were one out away. They were one strike away. They were one strike away. And it went through Bill's legs, right past his glove. Can you imagine how that guy felt? Could you imagine what he thought every waking moment of his life? Can you imagine what he heard fans saying to him? You know he got death threats. Of course he did. It's Boston. You know he got death threats. Sorry. Hey, I can say I've lived in Boston. I got yeah. Um, you know he got death threats. You know he was ridiculed. You know he got looked at sideways by his co- by his teammates. Oh, they could try to pretend that it's okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sure, we've all done that. It's all right. I forgive you. Yeah. And in 2004, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. The curse of the Bambino was broken. 18 years, it was 18 years that that Boston first baseman had to think about what happened that cost him the World Series or could have. And all the ill will, all the ugly things said about him, all the threats, all the guilt. And by all accounts, the guy handled it with grace. And in 2004, when Boston won the World Series, they kind of said, oh, come back. You're, you're sort of welcome back in the fold. It's all forgiven now. 18 years, 18 years that man had to deal with that. And he didn't do it on purpose, I don't think. He didn't do it on purpose. What a transgression to Red Sox fans. And we say to ourselves, I tell you, sports fans, they can be really crazy. They can really be fanatical and and they just really, I mean, hold a grudge. Maybe there's somebody in the room tonight who's held a grudge for 18 years. And it's time to forgive somebody. Maybe it hasn't been 18 years. Maybe it's been 18 months. 18 weeks. Maybe 18 days ago. Maybe someone sinned against you 18 hours ago. If that's the case, I would just ask you, how long is it going to be before you forgive them? You can imagine how somebody feels. Have you ever sinned against someone? How did you feel? Did you want them to forgive you? Pastor has been talking some recently about love and friendship and the brotherhood and the love of God and all that. And, uh, and, and I just can't help but think that in a crowd this size, there's got to be somebody that, uh, that needs to make something right with somebody. Go to them, phone call, something. I just can't help but think that's the case. And uh, I would just encourage you, for the, for the health of your relationship with Christ, for the health of the relationship of your family, for our church, and for the furtherance of the gospel, don't wait any longer. Don't let something go on so long that it gets harder to go and 
confront somebody and forgive them. Let's just go ahead and make things right now. Let's go ahead and, and renew fellowship with, with folks now before it's too late. And that includes, and this thought occurred to me, this thing's recording and this thing's going on somewhere. I mean, if you're listening, you might hear this a week from now. Don't wait any longer. You know, make things right. The Lord wants us to forgive. And the reason why, if for no other reason, it's because it's our job. And we need to just do our job and forgive because of what he's done for us. Our Father, we thank you for this brief passage of Scripture and these few fleeting words about that I've said about what, what you want us to know tonight. And, and I just pray, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would help us to uh, be submissive to you and your will and your commands in this matter of forgiveness. And some cases that involves going to someone because they sinned against us. And we need to let them know. They need to be, it, we need to make it right. There might even be someone here tonight, Lord, who sinned against someone else and maybe is avoiding them. They need to go to that person and make it right. We need to be unified in that way. We need to be right with one another. We need to have restored relationships, healthy relationships in the body of Christ. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here, I pray, Lord, if it's me, if there's someone that I have hard feelings towards that I haven't forgiven or someone that I've sinned against and I just can't think of who it is, that you would bring it to my mind so I can make it right. So that our church could move forward glorifying you and truly being your disciples. And I pray this in Jesus' name.